0: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch.
1: Hey, marketers. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Marketer's Journey podcast. And today I've got Des Cahill. Des is the GVP of Oracle CX Product Management. That's a mouthful, but if you know the brand Oracle, they are all behind empowering marketers. And Des has worked his way up to help oversee a lot of the different products to help us understand a better 360 view of customers. Today, we break down his career. Some of the brands that he's managed to work with over the years are really astounding. He talks a little bit to us about time at Apple where he learned the importance of every aspect of that buyer experience. But other stops along the way have landed him in this opportunity at Oracle. Take a look at some of the brands like HP and AOL and others Really impressive. He calls it luck. I call it impressive. Today, we'll in the second half, we'll explore what he describes as the experience economy, and I think it's a really interesting framework that he uses to help understand how we can become more buyer-centric, how we can put the buyer first, and understand that their path is always going to zigzag, kind of like the journeys we take in our career, and we talk about on this podcast. So, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce you to Des Cahill. Hey Des, thanks so much for making time to chat with us. We are both at home. This is being recorded as much as we try and make evergreen content this is being recorded in very unimaginable times. Uh, And we both chatted a lot about that, but tell people what it means. You've recently become the GVP uh, Group Vice President for Oracle CX on their product management side. What does that entail day to day?
2: Well, Randy, first, thanks for having me. And uh, what does that entail day-to-day? I I think something that you were talking about earlier, at the core, I really see myself as a storyteller. And at Oracle, we have a lot of great technologists, and we have a a lot of great products that we've built in the Oracle Cloud CX area. You know, we've got like Responses and Eloqua for marketers and we got service solutions and commerce solutions and sales solutions there's just a whole lot of great great products but the what I do day to day is myself and my team we partner with the development leaders and we work with them to help them develop their product strategy and we help them develop their product strategy by working with them on the product message. In other words, you can think of just as the product messages, well, those are just the words that you use to describe the product. But as my boss, Rob Tarkoff, often reminds me, the message is the strategy. So we use this, this messaging process to really define our go-to-market and our strategy around how we serve sellers and, and marketers and commerce leaders and sales leaders.
1: So, I want to dig more into that a little later maybe maybe when we talk about how you think about the buyer journey, we can talk about the importance of listening to the customer but sure. let's get an understanding of how you 've gone into this opportunity in a company like Oracle, as you said, so many products so admired by so many different organizations, how you got to that level and along your path there's very interesting uh, career journey you know lots of of turns and you know jumping from different marketing roles, but also overall company oversight and CEO roles. Maybe you can talk about that. The first step that it took your career towards a more executive path.
2: Sure. Well, I'd say, you know, it's, it's all been a journey toward that. I would say that probably the hallmark of my career is that I have um, maybe I'm ADD So, well, I'd say I'm more of a builder than a maintainer. So I have a high level of interest in walking into a situation that I don't know much about or that is broken and coming in and helping to fix it, grow it, adapt it, change it. And then when it becomes time to just sort of maintain that I'm a little less interested, and in maybe it's time to turn that over to someone else, and for me to move on to my next challenge. So I've always had this philosophy of, of what's the next challenge I can take on. As a, I don't know if it's a competitive thing or a growth thing, or you know what it is. I, I'd say my formative experience that really set the basis for you know where I am today is early in my career. I spent nine years at Apple, and. Uh, you know there were two things there one is obviously apple is a company that really values the customer and an integrated approach to a solution meaning you have to be good all the way from the naming to the documentation to the packaging to the hardware to the software to the buying experience to the support experience it's all an integrated holistic gestalt, if you will, of owning an Apple product, right? That that magic. And we pay a premium for it. But um, the other hallmark of, of Apple during my time there, which was in the late 80s up until the late 90s, was that Apple was reorganizing every 18 months or so as a company. And every 18 months or so or two years, I was afforded the opportunity to move into a new organization and a new role, So when I started at Apple, I actually ran Apple's retirement plan because I started my career early in finance. And then I moved into higher education marketing as a finance person. Then I became a higher education marketer. Then I moved into product marketing. Then I moved into product management. By the time I left Apple, I ran Apple.com and Apple's uh, relationship with America online. So I had transitioned to this, you know, very digital role early. So it, it was a great run and i really still go back to a lot of the principles and practices that i learned in that apple experience.
1: So you, you bring up a couple of interesting philosophies and learnings uh, through that, you know, one of them that i want to maybe dig a little deeper on is the idea of you know, always being able to move and be nimble to learn more but also doing so in a way where where you understand the entire business as you've moved on in your career and had roles, I mean, to give people some of the other brands, you know, Apple and Oracle on their own are amazing, but AOL uh, through Netscape, HP, you know, other ones on here, Return Path, which has, you know, w- where you were acquired in a company that you started. In all of these, there's there's a shift in some cases of you being able to create that path for, for other employees who will report into or have to navigate that path under other leaders. How do you manage you know finding the right companies and creating that culture?
2: right, that's a great question. You know some of it, I have to be honest, is luck. you know you're at the right place at the right time, but I think I think it's you set yourself up for luck right you you prepare yourself for good luck, and I think a really important thing that I coach people on when I interview candidates or I I talk to people about their career, is I think it's really important, the better you can understand what your own talents are and what your strengths that you bring, and maybe where you're not as strong, that sets you up to put yourself in the best situation to succeed. So like for an example, so I was CEO of a startup called Habeas. We were an email deliverability company. We ended up selling to Return Path after six years. And uh, I knew that I was really strong as a marketer and really strong as a storyteller, really good with customers, really good with speaking, really good with press. So the first person that I had to go out and hire when I met this VC firm and they brought me in to do the CEO roles. I needed to go hire a CTO and a head of engineering to bring that engineering discipline. And then the next hire I brought in was a head of sales because I knew I needed someone to concentrate on that full time. So I think the short answer is the more you know about yourself and understand what you're really good at and what you'd like to do, as opposed to what you can do if you have to do it, the more you can pick the situations where you can thrive and the more you can pick the people you work with, whether it's people as a CEO I hire in to work with me or at Oracle, I'm obviously not the CEO. I'm, I'm, I'm a member of the larger team. I pick the people that are my colleagues or the person that I choose to work, work for because I see I can add unique value to that team.
1: So I love that answer. And and what I want to dig just one last quick question on this before we take a break is when you give that example of being the CEO and, you know, building that team from the scratch, you are in control, as you said, the destiny. When you go into these other companies, as you said, you've also gotten a little bit lucky, but is there anything that you've been able to do to meet some of the other characters or some of the other Incumbents in place to ensure you're going to be a fit, like what are some of your go to questions to sniff out and make sure that you you have a chance of luck
2: yeah i, I you know i if i'm interviewing somewhere I mean a, a key question is why do you need someone like me so I kind of put it on them to explain what is the state of their business where they feel like they need to bring in a a marketer, a storyteller, a product marketer, a product manager, whatever label you want to put on it, right? Because you need to be a storyteller in all of those roles, in my opinion. So I ask, what are they looking for from me? In the same way, like one of my main interview questions when I interview people is, I always ask, what is your superpower? Because I'm really trying to understand what is a person really good at because i think that corresponds to what they're going to be really passionate at and what they're going to succeed at like if you're a so-so writer don't tell me you're a great writer because you might be great at other things tell me what you're great at so anyway i I try to have a dialogue about what is the need that they have and i try to be very honest about what i think i'm really good at and what i'm less interested in doing
1: what other people i think can do do better I'm sure like, you know, I'm fortunate sometimes that people will reach out to me asking for my perspective, whether they're writing an article or something of the sort. And I've gotten to the point where as you just hit it, it's okay to tell people, you know, this isn't an area for me to comment on. This is not my- I don't know. (laughs) There's someone on my team that you should chat with, but- you know, sometimes right. it's not up my alley. I think that's that's great advice, Des. We're gonna keep you around for more advice. We're gonna jump right back, talk about how you think of the buyer journey, how that's complemented your career right here on the Marketer's Journey.
0: Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantech are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand.
1: So Des, in the first part of our chat today, we, we hit on the importance of storytelling. And one of the things I'm always cognizant of is I can't tell the story that I want to tell. I have to tell the story that people are going to tune into.
2: And right.
1: To do that, how do you make sure that it's not what a whole bunch of execs are sitting around a table brainstorming, but rather what the customer is focused on?
2: Yeah, how do you, how do you make sure you're not uh, breathing your own exhaust, so to speak? Well, obviously, it's really important to get out there and engage with buyers directly, whether that means that you're going out and getting into customer meetings and having those discussions. Or uh, you know, if you're more a B2C company, you're going out and doing uh, focus groups or, or whatever the mechanism. You're listening to analysts and influencers. So you got you got to cast a wide net and not just be you know again guilty of uh, drinking your own Kool-Aid or whatever analogy you want to use. You know, one thing that that we do at Oracle is we establish a sort of a, a framework for how we think about the state of the world. And it's kind of like the lens that we look at as we start thinking about the investments, the development investments that we're going to make in building our products. And we call that the experience economy. And it's not a a new concept. Joe Pine has been writing about this for the last 15 years, and he's been talking about it. But at Oracle, when we talk about the experience economy, we, we talk about three main things one is that we're in an era where experience is really defining the value of goods and services more than the goods and services themselves and an example of that is like i used to shop on amazon because there was no sales tax it it was you know the cheapest place to buy something now, when I go to buy something on Amazon, when, when I go to buy something, I just go on Amazon. I have no idea if it's the least expensive or most expensive. I just want that convenience of prime delivery. I just want what That's I true. want when I want it, right? right. And then Apple, again, is a great example of, you know, uh, experience defines value. Number two, innovation. You know, we tend to think of uh, the innovators as, as companies like Uber, Flip, or uh, Oracle, but the real innovator today is actually the buyer. Whether it's the B2B buyer or B2C buyer, they're willing to, you know, do de- do research about your products and unconventional methods. They're willing to subscribe to services rather than buy services. They're willing to, yeah, just go through different channels and different experiences. So a lot of innovation is happening, in, happening with the buyer. And then the third piece. Principle of the experience economy would be that journeys are just non-linear. Like we can't thinking of just the the sales funnel or the infinity circle of you know buy, use, renew. That's kind of broken. Our, our customers are individuals, and we kind of need to meet them in the channels and the way they want to consume and own and get service on on the goods and services that they use. So that that's sort of our overall. Framework and uh, it works well for us as a way way to think about how things are changing in sales, service, and marketing.
1: So it's, I, I love that framework, and and you don't have to win me much uh, when it comes to saying experience is what wins. You know that's something I talk a lot about when we look at content yeah. experience, which jives a lot with what you just said there. I mean that you know we we need to meet the buyer. We need to know that they're going to look for things when they expect to find some of those things. And you know, in your example of Amazon, I go there at a convenience now, not at a price. And I used to. Right. I remember very well opening up like three different tabs where I'd check Walmart, <laughs> and I'd check Amazon, and then I'd just check Google. Buy.com. Exactly. And then it's like, all right, I guess I'll do this Amazon thing now. Whereas you know, we we get into a very comfortable state where we just start to trust because. We trust that they're gonna give us what we want when we want it. Um,
2: Right, a a big part of experience is trust, right? Which goes back to, we talked about storytelling earlier, but storytelling, you can tell a story, but if you're you're not gonna deliver on the promise of the story that you're telling, the brand isn't going to succeed. So Apple as a brand wins because they consistently deliver on the promise they make with the brand same with amazon same with walmart right same with a lot of great companies same with oracle
1: the problem though here is is that you know we say this and i've got these three things written down and i'm on my, on my, in front of me now which is experience wins in terms of the product you know the buyer is innovating you know the journey's not linear but then we sit here again as execs and we say well i'll figure out then what they want because we we'll, we have like a bunch of really bright minds in this executive room we'll just brainstorm it through. How do you shift again away from that to starting to understand perhaps indicators from the actual buyer themselves? You know, how, how can we shift from, we think we know what the buyer wants to, we actually know what the buyer wants?
2: Well, one way to do that is, you know, we have, we have thousands of customers using our applications, you know, and millions of users using our applications every day. So one way to do that is through the instrumentation of our software to understand what capabilities and features are they using. So there's just pure empirical data about how our applications are are being used. There's slightly more subjective but still useful things that we do, like we, we organize customer advisory boards or cabs. So on a regular basis, semi-annually, we have in-person cabs for like 400 of our customers. We'll get together and we'll you know, get in a room with them with our, our development leaders and our product management leaders and take them through you know, what we're developing and talk with them and have a dialogue. So that, that's a typical mechanism that a lot of companies use. We're extending those now to be virtual cabs and doing those more frequently. User community, user groups, polling all those sort of things. And then, of course, in you know we're in enterprise software sales. so there's a quite an extensive community of industry analysts and influencers that I spend a lot of my time with. And you know my goal with the industry analysts is, like I was saying earlier, like always be honest with yourself about what what you're good at and maybe what you're more challenged around. I try to be really, really open and honest with those analysts about where I see our strengths in our strategy, and where I ask their help and their guidance on uh, you know as as they as they look at the landscape for marketing or commerce or sales or service. So I think analysts can play a, a helpful role. And again, I think honesty is the best policy in terms of, uh, and I, I think the analysts find that a very refreshing approach because it would be easy to just sit in front of them and say, we're perfect at everything. But yeah. I, I find I get the best dial, you know, I, I try to listen to the analysts more than I preach to them. So I, I want to go back
1: to the earlier part of that, that response. And it, it may not be the sexy part for some of the people tuning into this podcast, but you know, listen through as we talk about data here. I think when we say data, some of us kind of stop where you know and especially when it comes to oracle we think of a solution like Eloqua, responses and the ability yeah. to track what emails were opening right i mean for a long time right. that was the definition of data and if we know what emails yeah. we're opening, we know what they care about now there's so many more channels and so many more insights and i know without getting too in too specific around the oracle product itself You and I have have chatted over the last couple months around the idea of a CDP and other terminology like that. Yeah. For for the average marketer, explain the the shift we're seeing from maybe more traditional marketing automation platforms to more full 360 view
2: customer understanding. Sure, well, sure, Randy, it's a great question. So, you know, as we talked about in the experience economy, we are seeing consumers move to multiple channels. Like, and a great example is like, you as an organization could say, well, we have a website and we have a social handle and people can call our 800 number. But when your consumers are spending more time in Facebook Messenger or on WhatsApp, you know, how do you, how do you connect to them? How do you reach out to them on, on the channels they wanna be on? We all have multiple devices. So it's no longer, we just have our work computer, we have our home tablet, we have our home PC, and we have our smartphone. So the challenge for marketers starts to become not just I sent out an email and I got a 1.7% click rate on that email campaign, but it becomes more around how do I track a customer or a prospect across multiple channels, multiple campaigns, and multiple physical devices? And how do I detect signals that that customer, that prospect or customer is sending to to my organization, and then how do I act on those signals and send the right offer at the right time? So, like, let me give you an example. Let's say I'm going to Uberflip's website, and I'm in your knowledge area, and I'm reading all these FAQs about how to customize B2B marketing campaigns, and... You know, you, you guys might be sending me marketing messages, but if you can connect the fact that I was using my iPad to, to learn about B2B marketing content customization, the next time you send me an email, it might be a very different email than if you're sending an email to someone that was reading different articles on your website. Another example would be if I had a service ticket outstanding with you guys and had a major issue, you probably suppress sending me a marketing campaign or an offer. So what, what I'm really getting at is that CDPs are an early start toward getting into an era of customer intelligence, and we're taking a deeper approach to that at Oracle. We're really building, you know, intelligence into the products and building an intelligence platform across all of CX, because we believe that marketers need to not only be able to understand customers across channels and across devices and optimize the right offer, but they need to understand where the customer is in the journey across sales, commerce, and service and bring that back into marketing. You know, we see marketers as sort of the stewards of the customer. So uh, it's an interesting, you know, MarTech is an interesting place. It's It's a fun place to play. And I think the rate of change there is just accelerating. So
1: I'll ask you one last question here, tied to that, tied to our first segment. If someone wants to be a CMO down the road, run a company, what do you think is is that precursor role? Like what, what role, given all these trends of the importance of data, understanding the customer, when you come from a product background in many ways, as you hit on, what is that path that's gonna, you know, really you know, hide in someone's opportunity?
2: Yeah, I, I like that question, Randy. That's good. You know, I think traditionally we thought about, or at least I have, because I, you know, I'm I'm in Silicon Valley. I've been here the last 35 years, so I think from from this part of the world, I tend to look at break markers into two herds, if you will. There's the sort of Madison Avenue brand, kind of typical 60s Mad Avenue advertising marketing executive. And then there's the Silicon Valley producty. And obviously, I came up in that product. product I think now, if you think about both of these uh, subspecies, if you will, of marketer, I think, I think the new piece of this that's important is excellence with data. So, I think a great background is that digital marketing whether it's a digital marketing background or it's a, a MarTech technology background, so if you can bring together that storytelling, you know there's a piece of there's a creative piece, and then there's that digital discipline, that data discipline. Whether again it's a financial analyst kind of background, it's a IT technology background, or it's a digital market or growth hacker background. I think bringing in that data piece is, is really important, and that's gonna be a, a key component going forward for CMOs.
1: That's great advice. We'll, we'll end this segment on that, but we've got a little bit of bonus coverage with Dez. If you stick around after this short break, we'll learn how he's made time for his family, for his personal journeys along the way, right back here on The Marketer's Journey. Hey, all right, so we've broken down your career, how you think about the buyer journey. The big question is, how do you make time for yourself, for some of those personal journeys, personal goals that you have along the way?
2: Wow, yeah, sometimes that, that's that's hard. At a family level, I, I think it's funny, The the pandemic obviously has many tragic aspects to it, but it has been a forcing function for more family dinners, more family time, more uh, group hikes, group yoga. So it's been, uh, in some ways, a return to a simpler lifestyle, that's been great. But at a more systemic and normal level, I, I think try to build in you know, week-long vacations, a couple of those every year, whether it's Tahoe or Hawaii or somewhere. I, I like those vacations where you just go and stay somewhere and uh, you know the, the beach and kind of the outdoors. I'd say on a day-to-day level, it's more about fitting in the workout. And Randy, you and I were, were both talking earlier about we're both Peloton owners. And uh, while I've always been a big bike rider and I love the idea of going out on a two-hour, three-hour ride to the coast, the reality is is the efficiency of the Peloton and being able to hop on and do a half-hour ride at 6 a.m. and then a 15 minute stretch and then be ready for the 10 hours of zoom (laughs) is working out pretty well. Um, the other, the other thing I I'd say is, um, you almost need those breaks built into the day, especially now with, with the 10 hours of zoom a day and Randy is laughing and smiling. He, He can relate. Um, and I'm sure many of you can too. So I've started building in like half hour break mid morning, catch up on messages, I've built in, you know, a half hour break in the afternoon to catch up on messages. And then I, you know, if I can stop at four and build in a two hour window to do thinking or build in some thinking time in the morning, like yesterday, I went ahead to next week and blocked out a whole bunch of time because I know I know to, need to do a bunch of thinking. I think that's the hardest part. I is, couldn't agree is, more. Do you find it that Randy balancing the thinking yeah, time it's... versus the doing time?
1: It's hard because your, your schedule looks so open right now. There's, you know, there's no plane time. So you're always available, you know, for, for any type of sync. Uh, I used to do a lot of my thinking on airplanes, you know? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you know, a lot of my writing as well, I would do on, on airplanes in terms of, you know, where, what I'm thinking about. So I I think it's
2: absolutely
1: to, to structure those in, I'm probably not doing a good enough job. And if I if I started to save inside my house, my kids would tell me I need time for PlayStation in the day to hang out with them or something, but
2: right. <laughs> right, like right. Exactly. Out
1: the right priorities and the right ways that you're going to be able to just clear your mind. I think, I think it's some great advice. And you know, Des, this, this whole podcast has been filled with that. So I can't, I can't thank you enough for making the time, you know, if anyone has enjoyed this, which I'm sure you have, check out all the other uh, guests that we've been fortunate to have on the marketer's journey You can find us on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, depending on where you found this in the first place. Until next time, thanks for tuning in and enjoy your journey.